You know, your credibility and your integrity has to be your currency because in order for you to perform, you need people to trust you. Now, they must have known that to try and uh, come to me, you know, wasn't going to be, you know, I wasn't going to let that door open, uh, even a tiny, tiny inch, um, because they knew that I would report too. For me, that's too far. And, and, and where, again, that's out of my control, but this is where some of the, the credibility for the sport needs to come in. I felt so confident that it, it didn't matter that I was that I, that I was in that male-dominated industry because I felt so so ready for it. I I would have a crack at referees and and that sort of thing and and I'd I'd always be embarrassed afterwards. I suppose a lot of them would would argue that you always thought you knew the laws of the game, so it was only natural that you decided to do it yourselves. To Onside, the official podcast of Sport Integrity Australia. Our mission is to protect the integrity of sport and the health and welfare of those who participate in Australian sport. Hello and welcome to Onside. I'm Tim Gable. In this episode, we're looking at match officials in sport. Referees and umpires are constantly in the spotlight. They're under enormous pressure to get the decisions right. So what motivates them? How do they cope with the pressure and social media? Our guests are former leading Australian soccer referee Ben Williams, who officiated in some of the world's biggest tournaments, including the World Cup in Brazil. Casey Badger referees in the New South Wales Cup Rugby League competition and has been a touch judge for the NRL for over 110 games and is close to making her debut as an NRL referee. In many respects, Casey is a trailblazer for women seeking to be involved in the sport, especially as a referee. And our third guest is Grant Jones. Grant played first grade rugby union for the Queenbin Whites in the ACT competition. He's also been involved in matched activities such as running the water. A few years ago, he was called before the judiciary and was informed that he had to do a referee's course. He's now a referee. We'll hear from all three in just a moment. And excitement is building with just over a month to go until the Olympic Games. With Tokyo 2020 fast approaching, we've designed an educational course to help competing Australian Olympic and Australian Paralympic team members navigate the rules and legislation around doping control. And coming up soon is our special podcast series, Clean and Gold, which will celebrate everything Olympic and Paralympic. Well, our first guest is former leading A-League and international soccer referee, Ben Williams. And Ben, just how much pressure are referees and sporting officials under in this modern day? Because not only what happens on the field, you've got obviously people on the sideline in the crowd, but also social media. It it seems as though there's a lot of pressure on referees and and match officials these days. Yeah, well... um there's always going to be pressure on, on officials and uh, I guess the way the professional sport has gone now, it's moving more towards a business um, and, and teams and clubs and sports need to, to make money to be sustainable. Um, so we get that as, as officials uh, and I guess that's why there is that, that pressure because uh, you know if there's results that go the wrong way, coaches get sacked, players have to move clubs, uh, it may be that that a team, you know, loses their franchise, etc. So we understand all that pressure. Um, at the same time, really, the the pressure placed upon referees is is within our between our two ears. Um, you know, so it's the pressure we place on ourselves to perform. And 
no referee really goes out there to be the the center of attention and and you know take all the glory because you know if, if if you're doing that well we'll just sign up to be a referee in the first place um it's it is about the game and um you know that's that's what you want the focus on at the, at the same time if if called upon you know in, in your duties and responsibilities you're called upon it at various times to make calls that you know are required by the game and sometimes those decisions change the game uh, you hope that that's not the case and and you hope that the decisions that you take uh, are, the, are the correct ones so um, that's that's really the pressure it's about the same as a, a striker would want to score goals or a goalkeeper wants to stop goals um, referees want to make sure that they're getting their decisions and, and, and fulfilling their uh, their role the best that they possibly can. Integrity is the key, isn't it, uh, to being a, a good referee? 100%. And in fact, that's that's your currency. You know, your credibility and your integrity has to be your currency because in order for you to perform, you need people to trust you. And if you don't have any integrity uh, or you've lost, you know, there's a shine that's taken off, then then you lose the trust of, of the people, whether that be the viewing public, whether that be the teams or the coaches, uh, and therefore your therefore your, your performance is always critiqued that little bit more. Um, you don't want those kind of uh, connotations around you as a, as a referee. Um, and that, that was something that I was always really strong around uh, is that I wanted my integrity was never never to be bought uh, you so know. were there attempts to, to buy you? yeah absolutely um, gone were the days of the old brown paper bag but uh, yeah lots of lots of trips overseas where there was gifts you know there was bags of stuff left on my hotel room door um, what did you do? so we've got a whole process that um, we, we go through uh, we had lots of presentations with Interpol because um, organised crime out there Obviously, football being the you know the probably the biggest sport in the world, uh, there's a lot of money involved, uh, and usually, um, the, and this is what I learnt through Interpol was that they they would uh, go for the players first. They had the most direct um, way to influence a match, and then the next ones were the referees. Usually, because referees aren't paid any anything like uh, like the players are. Um, and they've got other things, you know, that going on. So I always, in my mentality, was nothing for nothing, you know. So if there's gifts, and we had we had um, you know boundaries around what kind of gifts could be given and and costings and all that kind of stuff, um, you know, if it was a a team had won the championship, they were allowed to you know provide you the jersey and all that, um, you know, all, all those kinds of things. But you know, there was times where they'd take you shopping, and uh, you know, uh, maybe it was a flat screen TV. I say anything in here. Yep, you you can have it. Um, you know, so I was really particular, and I, I didn't just work with people from from Australia. Work with people from other countries, and they were wanted to accept. You know, and if I was the referee, I, I was the captain of the team, and I said, well, whatever you normally do, that's that's you know, on my team, that's not happening. And so we would go and I'd report to the match commissioner, and match referee uh, assessor, um, to make sure that this everything was out there straight away before the game um, and that they knew that I was not uh, not corruptible. I would imagine there are referees that are corruptible though. Absolutely. Um, and I guess in every profession, uh, right across the board, there's going to be good people and, and, and bad people and, and people that make choices that they probably shouldn't. Um, and at the end of the day, we have to do what's best for the game. It's, it's bigger than, you know, the fans, it's bigger than the players, it's, it's certainly bigger than the referees. And and we want to try and make sure that the game is left in a better place than we found it. Um, so if I would put my selfishness in front of that whole gambit of, of, of the game, well, I'm certainly not doing my job. 
And that's that's really what it is. That's that's selfishness when people take bribes or or their integrity is is allowed to be clouded. Um, then they're do, not doing what is in the best interest of the game. Had you ever refereed a game where you thought that match fixing might have been taking place? Uh, there was one match I remember where uh, I didn't find out until after the game uh, because I just went out and refereed the the way I was supposed to referee, and uh, I found out that the result was supposed to be, you know, supposed to be three one. And what was the score? Oh, it wasn't three <laughs> one. Yeah. So um, now they must have known that to try and uh, come to me, you know, wasn't going to be, you know, I wasn't going to let that door open, uh, even a tiny, tiny inch, um, because they knew that I would report too, and that was the thing. Any anyone that would come to me with a gifts, or sometimes it was women, you know, they'd, they'd try anything. Um, so always nothing for nothing. You know, so they tried to get you in a compromising situation. Oh, some I remember one one particular country. It was even after the match, um, so it wasn't even trying to set me up for um, for for match fixing. It was actually the in a few weeks' time, uh, other Australian officials were coming, and they said, "Oh, you've got a very long flight ahead of you. Um, it's really important that you relax." And I knew, I knew exactly what was going on. I said, "No, nobody's coming to my room," and I told my two assistant referees, "You receive a knock on the door. Don't answer it." Um, because there were other Australian referees that were going to be there in a couple of weeks' time, and their hope was that uh, we would tell them, you know, that we we're offered all this, and then they would be, you know, the beneficiaries of of, of that. And uh, not on my watch. <laughs> what about the abuse? Because you copped more than your fair share of abuse, didn't you? Um, you know, I, I saw one headline, you know, glorious clear career and all that. So Twitter rejoices, you know, because they just loved. To get into you, didn't they? How did how did you respond to that, and what sort of abuse did you get? Yeah, well, I mean, the, the people that write all that stuff and and say all that stuff, and and the keyboard warriors, they they don't know me. They don't know Ben Williams, um, and what the people that I know and love, they know who I am, um, and really, they're the only opinions that matter. So, in terms of refereeing performances, um, I know if I have a bad match, my wife will still love me, my family will still love me, um, and if I have a great match, they'll still love me. The referee assessors, we are, you know, in terms of integrity, you're you, you scrupulous in terms of the, the assessment and the analysis that goes on. Um, whereas I don't think the, the viewing public generally understand that. They think, uh, oh, the referee just turns up on the day and if they like our team, they'll give a decision this way. And if they don't, they'll send somebody off or give a penalty against us. And, um, you know, I think people like jumping on the bandwagon too. Uh, and it's a bit like theatre. You know, sport is theatre, and sometimes theatre needs villains. And uh, I guess I got I got painted that way a little bit in Australia. Um, but at the at the end of the day, well, that's you know I, that was out of my control. All I could go out and do was, it was perform the best that I I knew how. That I'd been trained at AFC level and, and FIFA level. I uh, got the latest you know information from the top dogs right in you know right in Zurich. Um, so I had to go into each match thinking, well. Who, who, who knows their job better than anyone else? I, I know my job better than anyone else, better than anyone on the Twitter sphere, um, you know, the fans in the, in, the, in the stadium. Of course, everyone's entitled to their opinion. Um, you know, when I'm a fan, of course, we, we always look at it from a, from a different angle uh, because, you know, when the Socceroos are playing or whether, you know, Australia's playing in the cricket, you want your country and your team to do well. Um, whereas referees, we have to be straight down the line because it is about that integrity.
I remember a particular match, Iran versus Iraq at Canberra Stadium, 2015. Yep. It was a quarterfinal in the Asian Football Confederation. Can you tell us the aftermath of that game? Because I, I know you got death threats and you're worried about the, the safety of your family. Yeah, well, look, even before the match, we, myself and my two assistant referees, we uh, we looked at the draw and, and we thought, you know what, if this team goes through from this group and this team goes through from that group, it could be Iran versus Iraq in Canberra, you know, and we knew that was a big match. And we said, look, they're the, they're the types of matches that you want to be involved in. You know, you want to be pitting, pitting yourself up against the best and, and, the, and the most challenging situations. Now, in all of my matches, and I refereed a lot, uh, that was probably the most challenging match I've ever had. Uh, there was so much more than football at stake that day. You know, two countries that have been at war for, you know, nine years, it was never going to be a walk in the park. Um, so I was quite proud that they trusted me, uh, AFC trusted me and my, my, my team to, to take part in that match um, and take control of that match. Now, yeah, there was a, there was a situation in, early in the, in the match where I had to caution uh, one Iranian player um, and then later on, in, you know, just before half time, uh, he dived in the penalty area and he was trying to cheat. So we talk about integrity. He was trying to take the integrity away from that game. Now, I'd, I'd asked him a number of times to, to get up because there was nothing nothing doing. Uh, and he said, no, no, no there's, there's something here. And I said, look, that's it, that's it. If you can't do it, it's going to be a yellow card. And so I gave him the yellow card and I, and I walked off. And probably the thing that, the thing that I did wrong was not immediately uh, identify that because he was sitting on the ground, I couldn't see his number, um, that it was the same player that I'd, that I'd cautioned earlier so on. It's a, so two yellow cards two red is, cards, is yeah. a red card. You know, so that's where the controversy came in. Now, the des- decisions themselves were fine, uh, but I guess that delay, maybe people thought the credibility was gone. Anyway, that was certainly the angle that, uh, that the, the, the um, Iranian coach took and then the, the Australian media really jumped on and because I was already the villain in the A-League, they jumped on that. And then well, the coach actually walked onto the field at the end of the game. I, I, I was watching it. In the grandstand, I thought, you know, that there's something happening here because um, of the fire that was generated in the match in the crowd. Yep. Yeah. yeah. You could have been worried for your safety there. Oh, the to be honest, I don't even remember that. And yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's that much going on, and that match had absolutely everything. So from the from the purest, or from the if you weren't aligned to Iran or Iraq, so many people that I speak to now uh, that have been in Canberra and weren't even football people said, oh, I was at that game and it had everything. <laughs> and the crowd was going bananas. And I, you know, So I actually feel really uh, blessed to be selected for that match and be out there in the middle. And even with the drama and the theatre of it all, um, the two very, very um, experienced Iranian, the captain and, and one of the other Iranian players who'd spent you know, 10 or 12 years in, in European football, in the heat of the moment, they turned to me and we'd known each other for a long time and they said, Ben, ben have you ever been involved in a game like this? And I said, uh, they said, you've been around a while, we've been around a while, how about this? And, and we both, we had a moment, you know, And but at the same time, they're also the ones trying to put pressure on you because they want your, you know, they want to try and bend your integrity really, um, all for the benefit of their team. Now, even with the coach coming on at the end of a game, that's all... That's all the theatre because the coach is being paid money by, uh, you know, people to, to do a job and then it's easier to deflect onto a, to a referee than say, you know what, we were beaten. Um, and look, a send-off can change a match, but at the same time, cheating can change a match as well. And that that's why I guess we get entrusted with the whistle and, um, you know, 
I, I don't shy away from that. What about the aftermath? The aftermath, well, um, we the referees we were based at, at Homebush uh, for the whole tournament. So, unless it was a Brisbane game, um, you know, we would we would uh, drive to and from the matches. So, you'd drive in and, and stay the night before. So we we got put up at the Hyatt here in Canberra, um, and uh, yeah, so did the match, and then we had our bags packed already, and the, the idea was straight out of Bruce Stadium back up the highway. Um, we had. Uh, the AFP were were with every refereeing um, trio, every refereeing team for every match. Um, we got to know them really well. Uh, they're a really good bunch of guys and girls to, that were there to look after us, uh, keep our safety because you know it's that that's also keeping the integrity of sport. Uh, and then they, those particular police officers would went on to the cricket uh, 2020 World Cup. So. Um, I received, I'm not on social media, um, never have been, never will be, um, because, yeah, people are never going to say, it was a really well-refereed game and it really, you know, allowed <laughs> the game to flow and, you know, all the adulation. But um, and, but my wife is, and uh, I spoke to her after the game. I said, look, just just don't read it. Just mm. just turn it off, don't read it. Um, and, yeah, there were death threats. Uh, I had a three-month-old at that stage. Um, so they were saying, oh, we'll kill your wife, we'll kill your child. And to the point where my wife did read it and didn't feel safe staying at home, so she went and stayed with her mum uh, that night. And for me, that's too far. And, and and where, again, that's out of my control, but this is where some of the, the credibility for the sport needs to come in, and, and that's that was some of the Australian media, unfortunately, that kind of really propagated that hate. Um, and I like to think I'm, I'm pretty strong-minded, pretty resilient type of person, um, but my family's off, off, off limits, you know. Yeah. Um, and at the same time, you know, people that maybe weren't mentally as strong potentially, you know, there could be a whole heap of depression and anxiety that come from this for match officials because I think that's often what people forget too is that match officials are humans. Um, and, uh, you know, I listened to your uh, your podcast with uh, on mental health with some of the, the former athletes and the psychologists and um, we talk a lot about the mental health of athletes but there's also massive problems with, um, you know, mental health of officials because they're not, not as well resourced. Um, and there's been situations where, you know, been big decisions that have changed matches, not just here in Australia, but right around the world. Um, and there's been situations where officials have, have felt that pressure that you, that you spoke about at the start and, and have gone on and done the unthinkable and, and committed suicide. And that's certainly not the answer. You know, so that's why I've always been one to kind of stand up and, and try and speak up. Um, if people don't think I'm, I'm popular because of that, I don't care. That's about, again, doing what's right for the game. When you retired, was it a relief more than anything else? Yeah, look, I think it was. Um, all through my career, I, I never really allowed myself to, to get run away with what, what we're achieving. And I say we as in my, my assistants and I, um, because we did it as a team. You know, but now, now upon retirement, I can reflect and think, well, you know, I was that little little kid in, in Canberra, you know, in Canberra that, that thought, saw the Olympics on, on, on TV and thought, wow, how good would that be? And, and saw the World Cup on TV and thought, oh, unbelievable. And, and I lived it, you know. So I didn't allow, we didn't allow ourselves to kind of lose our focus uh, at the time of going through it. But now upon reflection, we're really proud of what we did. Um, in terms of relief, um, I remember the moment I was in the middle of an A-League match when I realised I don't want to do this anymore. You know, and I've got a, I had a little girl at that stage and, you know, she's standing on the end of an arrow bridge saying, Daddy, please don't go, mm. you know. And then, and really that's, that's I, I got to the point where I thought, you know what, I've, I've achieved what I want to achieve in, um, in sport. Um, 
I spoke with my wife, can we go another four years for another World Cup? And it was, it's, a, it's a big ask for a family. Um, and she, she said, I don't, think we can, I don't think we can do that. And out of respect for her, I, I, you know, I want to be with my family. So I, that was the kind of time I decided to say, well, you know, now it's, now it's time to rather let the next generation come mm. through and uh, go and spend time with my, my beautiful family. The media uh, came in for special attention, I noticed, in a, a player's voice piece that you did. Uh, you said that the media in Australia really didn't understand football and they generated a lot of hate towards you. On reflection, do you still think that was the case? Yeah, I think there's, there's a responsibility because we need to think about people as people first and foremost. It doesn't matter whether they're dis- you know, they've got a disability, it doesn't matter if they're black, it doesn't matter if they're white, it doesn't matter if they're a player being paid lots of money, it doesn't matter if they're a referee. We need to treat people with respect, and I don't felt that I, I don't feel that I got that respect. Um, I don't I don't you know it's not you you become a referee and it's instantaneous. You have to earn respect, um, and it wasn't actually about me. I still see now I've been retired you know going on four and a half years now, and nothing's changed. Nothing's changed. Has the level of respect increased for referees? I don't think so. I think it's actually probably gone backwards. Um, we talk about VAR now. Uh, that that mm-hmm. kind of I've re- I retired just before that came in, and uh, that was going to be the you know the big. Oh, this will solve all our problems, and the referees so refereeing so terrible that we need video referees. And now what happens? People are still talking in coffee shops about the VAR. Oh, should they have got involved? Did they do the right thing? Did they not? You know, people are never going to be happy. So for me, it comes back to that respect. Let's just show people respect. Um, and the same way that a that a striker earning you know two hundred million dollars a year can miss a goal right in front of right in front of goal, um, or a goalkeeper misses an absolute sitter and they've been paid all that money, that's that's accepted. Oh, bad luck, you know. Oh, get the next opportunity. For referees, that's never accepted. And we think about the resourcing that goes into match officials, and not not just in my sport, but in all sports, uh, versus that that goes into players. It's it's chalk and cheese. Um, you know, so, yeah, it comes back to that level of respect. Let's treat people the way we want to be treated. Would you like that being said about your family, your loved one, your children, your mum, your dad? No? Okay, well, let's, let's take a little bit of a, a step back and, and realise what, what can be the hurtful thing that comes from these words. If I can just ask you a, a final question. Um, do you think in Australia we really struggle um, to show respect to people in control, in 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 positions of power or authority. Do you think that that's part of it in Australia? Yeah, I think so. I think so. Um, and it's hard because, you know, I'm, I'm a proud Aussie, a proud Aussie. I, I love we, – we are in the lucky country and we, we're so lucky. Every time I used to fly back into Australia and you'd breathe that sigh of, sigh of relief because even though you might have been off to a, another great, you know, great opportunity overseas, flying back to our country is the best thing in the world. And, and we know that now even more with, with all the COVID stuff. Um, in, in, in terms of in terms of respecting that authority, um, certain countries have that level given. You know, you think about Japan and China, and you know, to teachers and police and all that kind of stuff. Um, I think if if there was a police officer sitting where I am right now, they'd certainly never say they get respect. You know, they don't get the respect they deserve. They get spat on and all this kind of stuff. Um, I'm a teacher, also. Uh, it's something that you need to earn. Um, and I think that at the crux of all this, it comes down to relationships, it comes down to relationships. And uh, the more that we can spend and understand people, you know, from their different side of things, what's, what is their story? 
you know, and I guess refereeing uh, doesn't usually get an opportunity to tell its story, uh, so people don't understand, so they go and make assumptions, and often those assumptions are wrong because they're not an educated assumption. And I guess when I when I fired back in the media, um, that's that's pretty much what I was saying. Um, everyone's entitled to their opinion, but make it an educated one. Come down. Uh, we invited some Fox Sports people down to our um, our referees camp, full time referees camp, uh, when we were, when we were there, and they turned up late uh, and came in, and rather than be an observer about how we went through, you know, post match analysis and preparation for the next matches, they kind of stood up and 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 thought that they were the they were the guest uh, keynote speaker and started telling us how to do our job. I think, well, no, no, this is our workplace. You need to respect it. The same way I wouldn't go into somebody else's workplace and tell them how to do their job. You come to seek understanding, and I think with understanding, you know, this goes this goes far beyond refereeing. This is, you know, this is the Black Lives Matter. This is how we entreat our Indigenous people, how we entreat women, you know, how we treat people with disabilities. This is this is about coming back to that respect. And I think the more we share, the more forums that we have like this, where we can talk about different sides and different opinions, then we can understand, oh, yeah, right, I, d- I didn't know that about them. And maybe, maybe next time I won't be so harsh to, to be critical. I'll, I'll actually come in from that empathetic point of view. And at the end of the day, that's going to be the better thing for sport. That's going to be the better thing for sport. You know, when COVID hit us... Uh, as, as people loving sport, you know, there's so many parents that thought, oh, well, I don't get, we don't get to take our kids to sport and we're saving all this money and we're doing all these other things. Maybe I won't go back to sport. Now more than ever, we need to come together. All, all facets of every single game, not just football, every single game we need to come together and understand and, and take our country forward, you know, and that will improve the, the mental, mental well-being of, of all of us and the physical well-being of all of us and, you know, that's the health of the population and hopefully that's the kind of trajectory we want to, we want to be on for Australia as a sporting nation, you know, getting back to those days where, we're, where we are going off to Tokyo and winning all these gold medals um, and, and going off to World Cups and, you know, we've got a lot of success still, you know, you think about the Matildas and the women's cricket team and, you know, so there's still a lot of that. We've got to make sure that we don't don't uh, fall by the wayside, and we we keep the big picture in, in in the front of our minds at all times. Ben, thanks very much for joining us on Onside. It's been great to chat. Thank you very much, Tim. You're listening to Onside, the official podcast of Sport Integrity Australia. This is Onside. Well, our next guest is rugby league referee Casey Badger. And Casey is passionate about the game. She started refereeing in year 12. And Casey, I would imagine an unusual pursuit for somebody in year 12. Uh, yeah, it's not on the regular list of sports to choose from, I guess. Um, I started playing the game as a four-year-old and played through till I was 12. And back then there were no avenues for girls to continue playing through sort of teenage years. There was a women's competition, but I had to wait till I turned 18 to play there. Um, So when I was 16 um, in high school, I just had a friend who wanted to go and do the referees course. And he basically just wanted someone to go along with him just for company. So I went, oh, all right, yep, I'll give that a crack. Um, Not really thinking much of it. I sort of thought it would be a piece of paper, a certificate that I would put in my CV when I left school. Um, But all of a sudden started doing it and fell in love with it. Apart from your sheer passion for the game, what what do you like about it? Um, I think it's an extremely challenging pursuit. Uh, I don't think there's many things, uh, many sports that 
throw up as many challenges as refereeing does. Uh, obviously, firstly, I love the game of rugby league, uh, but I also love I love to be challenged. And when you referee, there are so many things you need to take into account. No two games are alike. No two situations are alike. You're continually learning. You're continually challenged. Um, and you need to make decisions quickly. You don't have time to really think and process and sort of take your time to weigh things up. You have to do things very instinctively. And that was just something that really appealed to me. So, you know, you obviously, you've been in the system for a little while now. You've been in the NRL system for six seasons, full-time for the last two. Do you feel as though you're just on the cusp at the moment of, of getting a first-grade game as a referee? Uh, yeah, I do, although I have felt like that for a few years now. So, um, hopefully, hopefully it does come. Um, obviously, 2020 through, um, you know, a big spanner in the works for everyone in terms of their career development, Um you know, the competition was stopped. We went back from two refs to one ref on the field. So, obviously, any opportunity was was cut in half. Um, and, and prior to that, I also had a pretty bad run of injuries. I had a few back-to-back uh, -back surgeries and um, a few things that sort of kept me not uh, not in the in the physical space that I wanted to be in. So, I, I definitely feel like I'm mentally ready. Um, I feel definitely feel physically ready now. It's just a matter of waiting for an opportunity to present itself. It's very much a male domain. How, how do you find that aspect of it? Because, you know, you're refereeing men's sport and I would imagine that there is a fair bit of, um, you know, that male dominance, as, as I've just mentioned. How, how do you cope with that? Yeah, there definitely is. I guess it's one of those things that being involved in it for so long, um, you do become accustomed to it um, because, because from day one it's, that that's just the landscape of of the sport, the landscape of of the job. Um, I guess for, for me to be able to get through it, I just had to know that I was doing everything. I was doing everything right, and I knew that I knew that I knew the game. I did everything I could to do as much um, work on the game as uh, from a football side of thing and things, and from a refereeing side, a technical refereeing side of things, so that I felt so confident that it. It didn't matter that I was um, that that I was in that male-dominated industry um, because I felt so so ready for it. I felt so um, knowledgeable um, in that in that space. So it, it it sort of didn't bother me. But there you know there are small things along the way. Um, you know, and even and even to this day where the system is is catered for men, um, it's much more comfortable to be to be a, a man in this industry than it is to, to be a woman. So there, there are little things that are just, you know, daily little battles to, to get through. But, um, you know, slowly the, the industry is changing. What about the players? How, how do they react to you? Because, you know, there's yourself and Belinda Sharp, uh, very much um, a well-known referee. How, how do they react to you? Yeah, um, from my experience, um once you've hit the semi-professional and then professional game, I've found the players outstanding. Um, I think in the lower levels of the game, that's where I found more more challenges um, around that sort of park football level or entry level um, through the ranks. That's when uh, there, there seems to be more pressure on you or more, um, more personal attacks. Um, on you for being female at the elite level, the players players are outstanding. I've I've actually found that 
I think sometimes they respond better to me than they do to, to some of the guys. Um, it's a catch-22 in being um, a, a female in, in such a male-dominated industry with the players in that you become more recognisable um, a lot earlier on. Um, and sometimes that can be good and sometimes it can be bad. So where a male referee might referee a team you know, early on in the season and for whatever reason that team or that player didn't like that referee or that performance or a certain decision, and then that referee has them 10 weeks, 12 weeks later, in the lower grade, you know, in the sort of just below NRL grades, a lot of the times the players wouldn't remember that referee 10, 12 weeks later, whereas they remember you as a female. Um, and like I said, sometimes if you're performing well, that can be a good thing. I think I think at the elite level, the players have, um, I have felt that they have um, a, a certain level of respect for Belinda and I in sort of seeing what we do and sort of understanding that we are, um, you know, unique as, as females in the game. And I think there's a certain level of respect that they've shown us. Um, I, I can't speak highly enough for the players at the elite level. What about abuse on social media and from the fans? How do you cope with that? Yeah, um, it's an interesting one. I think for referees, I think it's very um, – it becomes a very personal decision as to whether you get on social media or not. For myself, um, and I know my, my husband's a bit very similar, we're very active on, on social media. We see it as something that um, allows us a, a way to communicate with fans um, and give our point of view on things, explain certain rules. There was something that happened in a in the State of Origin game the other night that someone tweeted a question to me, and I just responded back with what the ruling was. And it, and it and it, it, it can become a positive um, engagement piece there. Um, but on the other side, um, you can. It's very easy for people to send abusive messages. You know, you go into your DMs folder and there'll be after games, there can be a bunch of messages or mentions there, um, which are negative, um, which unfortunately it shouldn't happen, but but it does. It's a very easy space for people to to criticise you. So um, for me, I find that I can I can deal with that. I can cope with that criticism. It doesn't get me down. I don't, I don't dwell on it. Um, so I see the positives of social media where I can promote refereeing, promote um, referees as just being fans of the game and show that positive side of what we do. Um, but I totally understand for other people how being on social media um, can become too much. Um, the, the abuse can, um, can become quite disheartening. Yeah, yes, you both, both yourself and your husband, Gavin, Gavin Badger, well-known referee, now retired and uh, involved in the West Tigers, amongst other, other teams. Uh, you, you come across with, with high integrity. How important is integrity in refereeing, do you think? Oh, it's the number one, it, it's the number one thing. If you want to be a referee at, at any level, um, the number one thing is, is, is that you've got is your integrity. Everybody, everyone makes mistakes. No one is going to be perfect. Doesn't matter how many games you've done. Doesn't matter what level of the game you're at. Um, no, no refereeing performance is perfect. Just the same way as no playing performance is is perfect. Um, but as long as you're making your decisions with with integrity, that's all that that anyone can can really ask of you. Um, and a, a lot of the times at the elite at the elite level with refereeing, um, perception of your integrity can be a big thing as well. Um, so there can be small things that you do when you move about the community or where you 
um, speak to people in in public or on social media where you you can have all the integrity in in the world but it can come across as 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 um as perhaps uh, as that you perhaps you, you don't there are small things people pick on you could be out with your kids and because you're in a rug you're a rugby league family of course your kids love the game and your kids might be wearing a jersey of a team or like a certain player or cheer for a certain team or whatever it might be and people can see that as perhaps um that that you don't have the integrity that you that you should have um so there's a real fine balance um in refereeing between perception and reality as well yes you're right there and your husband gavin is your number one supporter isn't he, he, he absolutely yeah. he's he's been there done that how do you find yeah. it at home do you, do you argue about refereeing decisions that you're watching <laughs> on tv at the time or uh, we, well the, the way i try to explain it to people is that like in, in many in many relationships and many marriages there are people who just who, who love the game um so they talk about rugby league and for us that that's no different rugby league is something that we both um grew up with it's something that we both absolutely love so of course we talk about it um but we talk about it in in all aspects we talk about it um with development and pathways of the game where gavin works at the moment with new south wales rugby league he's um heavily invested in in the junior pathways and development with with refereeing um so we talk about it from from that aspect we talk about it when just the game's on tv just as fans of the game just watching the game watching certain players um and how the game unfolds and then of course refereeing conversations come up as well um a lot of the things we think in terms of you know, rules and refereeing is very is very similar, but there's occasionally things that we um <laughs> that we do disagree on. But like anyone, you just have that conversation, and um yeah, we we, we just love the game. So for us, we, yeah, our lives revolve a lot around rugby league, but it never feels like it's um like it's too much. That's great, Casey. Thanks very much for joining us today on Onside. It's been great to have a chat and your insights are very, very valuable, I think, to, to young referees in particular coming through. Thanks again for your time. No problem at all. Thank you very much for having me. Our third guest is former first grade rugby union player in the ACT competition, Grant Jones. He's now a referee. Well, Grant, how did you become involved in, in refereeing? How did it all start for you? Uh, well, rather embarrassingly, I uh, I had a, an appointment with the judiciary after I said something. I was running water for Queenman First Grade. I think it was 2017. Um, yeah, 2017 it would have been. I was running water for First Grade, and I said something to the touch judge along the lines of, you know, when's this referee going to give us a crack or or now he owes one after that decision or so, something along those lines. It was, it was a game of Jamison. And and it wasn't, I didn't swear, I didn't, you know, but it, it, was, it was it was something I shouldn't have said. Anyway, I got referred to the judiciary as a result. Um, Adam Fay was the coach of first grade at the time and, and suggested that part of my uh, rehabilitation uh, would be that Grant will do the, the uh, requirements for it to become a level one referee and referee some games. And and I did that um, when I when I said I was going to do it. I, I made sure I did it, and I did two junior games at the end of that season. And I thought, oh, that wasn't too bad. Um, and yeah, it sort of went from there. And and refereed some junior games then, 2018, 19, uh, 2019. I started to get opportunities with some senior games, and sort of just done senior games since. So, did it surprise you when you sort of started doing it? You, you realised uh, what referees go through. 
Uh, it did. It did um, surprise me uh, from a from a viewpoint that there is more to look at in a game than you know what you might look at from a spectator. Like an example might be you you you've got a scrum and you've got to worry about the binds. You've got to worry about the back rowers staying on. You've got to worry about the the um, backs being on side and then you're looking at the ball coming out the back and then you're looking at if somebody's infringing at the front of the scrum, then you're looking at, you know, have, have they crept off offside? So it probably surprised, like when you're sitting on the sideline and you're, you're only looking at the things you want to look at or the things that go against your team. So I suppose um, it surprised me that um, the challenges they face in making the decisions and get, getting them right. And um, I, I think I realize now that you, that uh, referees aren't always going to get them right. Um, so, yeah. Have you copped any abuse yourself? No, I haven't. I I've, I don't know if that's luck or um, whether it's a sign of me doing something right. I, I think I I think I um, I think I benefit from being a former player and and knowing the club scene in Canberra quite well. So when I go to a game, you know, quite often I'll. I'll talk to the coach or the captain or or somebody from the club beforehand, and and they know who I am, and I think they have a, a respect that I've you know come from where they are to become a referee, and I think that that has helped me. Um, uh, that's not to say that it, it doesn't happen, but for me personally, I, yeah, I I haven't um, uh, copped abuse yet. Yes, I've I've gone, oh come on, ref, or he's offside, or you're you're kidding, or that sort of thing, but but not abuse as such. Do you think that more players should become match officials, whether it be rugby union, AFL, um, rugby oh, league? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I, I I've spoken to you know people that are involved in AFL and and league and and obviously a lot of people in in rugby union. Um, I and this is easy for me to say, and it's no disrespect to the to the officials that haven't done this, but but I think people that come from a club as a player or even a coach or that sort of thing. Um, I think if more players and, and people involved in clubs become referees, I actually think it will help lift the standard um, of referees. And I, I, I hope uh, not, not many people pay attention to what I do, but I, but I hope that uh, I can help from our club at least break down those barriers. It's not going to be, a, it's not going to happen overnight, but I, I hope that it does happen. Uh, Tell us about when you were playing. You know, obviously, you know, players say things to referees. Were you one of those yep. players? Yeah, I was. Yeah, um, I'm embarrassed to say I was. Um, I I would have a crack at referees and and that sort of thing. And it and and I'd, I'd always be embarrassed afterwards. And and I like I'm a very competitive person, and I I um, can be short tempered and. And I would say something, you know, in the heat of the moment to a referee and go, shit, I shouldn't have done that. But, um, and I feel as though um, opinions were made of me within ACT Rugby because of the competitive nature I have. And, and yeah, I, I absolutely said things I shouldn't have said to referees. Um, and, yeah, and and part of me is glad that I've done it because I've sort of I feel as I'm giving back a little bit um, to, to the Referees Association that, you know, I've, probably gave a hard time to for a while. Obviously, your former teammates, are they surprised to see you refereeing now, given that you were so vocal towards referees when you were playing? Um, yeah, yes, I suppose they are surprised. Um, but I suppose uh, friends of mine, good friends of mine, aren't, aren't surprised that it's something that I'd challenge myself 
to do. And and I suppose a lot of them would would argue that you always thought you knew the not thought you knew the laws of the game, so it was only natural that you decided to do it yourself. So. Yeah, I, I, I think yes and no would be the answer to that question. Have you got aspirations to go higher in refereeing? I, I didn't when I started. I was like, no, nah, I'm, I'm happy to do, you know, junior games and third and fourth grade and help to, to lift the standard. But but I think naturally the type of person I am um, and the more I get involved, I go, yes, I do want to. I do want to. And it's probably to challenge myself more than, more than anything. I... I like I've started to do a couple of Colts games now and go, geez, that's, that's a step up. And, and I've enjoyed that challenge. Um, and yeah, so I suppose I would have aspirations to, you know, move into second grade and, 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 and Colts more permanently. And, and then if, if good enough, an opportunity um, arose further. Yeah. There is a, a problem at the moment, isn't there, in, in encouraging people to become referees. People say, oh, yeah. I'm not going to go, yeah. I'm going to get abused. Uh, yeah. People won't like me. I've had no friends. Yeah, uh, there are yeah. many aspects to it, aren't there? Yeah, um, I don't know what, like, I don't know what the single biggest deterrent is. Um, I oh, abuse is the one that's always trotted out by the referees association as the biggest deterrent, and and it might be that that is you know the referees that do um, uh, give it away. I, I, I personally, I think it's more the the stigma of of somebody going from club land and moving into be a referee, oh, the bloody referees, you know, they're, they're hopeless and whatever. And you don't want to be as, you know, your mates to say, Oh, you're one of, one of them now. Um, where I've been able to, you know, like I'm vice president of the Queen White. So I'm, I'm very much involved in my, my club. Um, and then I can still go and referee a game on the weekend. So, um, it's sort of like, I think people think they either need to be a referee or need to be associated with a club where, I don't think that's necessarily the case. I, I, I um, you know, I, I think I'm an example of that. So, good on you, Grant. Great to see you out there refereeing on a weekly yeah. basis in Canberra, and yeah. hopefully, it encourages yeah. more players to become involved yeah. in, in being match officials, not just rugby union. I, I, I hope so. Yeah. Good on you, yeah. Grant. Thanks very much for joining All us right. today. Thanks, Tim. And now for our segment from Left Field, where we answer a question from the public. Today's question is, what is an athlete biological passport and why do we use it? The athlete biological passport is an electronic record that monitors a number of biological variables within an athlete. This record is developed over time through multiple sample collections and can reveal certain biomarkers of doping that indicate an athlete is using a prohibited substance. This method is yet another way we can detect doping, but does not require the substance itself to be detected. It's important to remember that there are 11 anti-doping rule violations and only one of them requires a positive test. Thanks for listening to Onside. I'm Tim Gable. And a reminder, we'll be releasing our Clean and Gold podcast series in the lead up to the Tokyo Olympics and Paralympics. See you soon. You've been listening to Onside, the official podcast of Sport Integrity Australia. Send in your podcast questions or suggestions to media at sportintegrity.gov.au. For more information on Sport Integrity Australia, please visit our website, www.sportintegrity.gov.au, or check out our Clean Sport app.